Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour with me, David Kermode. This week, episode 77, Rioja, Spain's most celebrated wine region in the league of the world's finest. We'll talk to Jane Parkinson about what makes it so special as we celebrate Rioja Wine Month. Plus, later on, as ever, your IWSC medal winners to provide some inspiration. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Rioja has the kind of name recognition globally that's the envy of other regions. Rich in tradition, but also more recently a hotbed of innovation too. Rioja's wines, both red and white, offer a beguiling combination of heritage, quality and, crucially, value too. I can't really think of anywhere else you can find an aged wine at the price you can get hold of a great bottle of Rioja. More than 65,000 hectares, more than twice the size of Burgundy, for context, uh, 567 wineries, 14,800 growers, the largest number of barrels anywhere in the world. It's enormous, so there's plenty to discover. This week, we're celebrating Rioja Wine Month, and I'm delighted to welcome a familiar face and a Rioja fan, Jane Parkinson, writer, broadcaster, wine expert on Saturday Kitchen on BBC One, and a few years ago, winner of the IWSC Wine Communicator of the Year. Uh, Jane, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Oh, hi, David. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. What a lot of statistics that was you just Well, us. I know. It's, yeah, I like numbers. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great to have you here. Uh, thank you so much. Before we dive into the wine, uh, for mm. those who are very familiar with your work, um, but might not know so much about you, um, just tell us how you got into wine. I gathered there was a, uh, a bit of a choice to make at one point. Yeah, there was. I don't know how you know about that, but I suppose I have, I've never really hidden the facts. So it was total chance, total luck, I like to think of it as. Um, and I uh, did a degree in French, so I was posted out to Burgundy to study in the university there for a year. And, um, you know, just your typical teenager, really, a 19-year-old, and I don't really know what to do my research for my dissertation uh, on. I don't know what the subject should be. I don't have any hobbies, blah, blah, blah. So I was sort of whining to my tutor back here while I was on my year abroad and uh, and I had to do my research while I was out there. And he said, well, you know, you idiot, you're in Burgundy, so you do it on, you know, Dijon mustard or you do it on wine. 
So I think it took me about five seconds to make my decision there, being 19 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I went, and I, knowing absolutely nothing, I didn't really grow up drinking wine or anything like that uh, in my household. So I just sort of hired a car, went off to vineyards, uh, interviewed these incredible producers, and they were so passionate that that was kind of it. So I was like, I love this industry, it's incredible. Mm, and isn't it just, although. Um, <laughs> It just as well you took that decision, otherwise we could be uh, doing the mustard hour uh, right now. Uh, and I, I think the drinking hour is uh, uh, probably a bit more fun, although I do love my mustard too. Um, yeah, so fine. that was how you got in, a bit of serendipity there. Um, yes. What is it that makes you love what you do now? Um, well, I mean, I suppose it kind of comes back to that uh, original story I was just telling you about. It's uh, It's such a corny cliche isn't it to say it's the people but you'll know this as well David I mean it's uh there are so many uh incredible people out there doing doing wonderful things and I think that what one of the big things I love about wine is that even though it's obviously global and international on a huge scale um it also feels like quite an intimate industry to me and you know you probably everyone knows everyone else by no more than i would say what do you think two people removed certainly three mm. at the absolute most yeah, and i love that interconnectivity if you like that everybody knows everyone else and i'd like to think as an as an optimist that everyone's striving for the doing the best they possibly can and that's how i always feel the wine industry is um so yeah and obviously the, the travel and if, if you love travel and you love seeing different cultures you love food um then you know a career in the wine industry is one for you <laughs> yeah good answer and that brings us very neatly onto rioja as well that uh, you know yes. uh, sort of iterative improvement and pursuit of quality and and, and all that stuff very relevant for mm. uh, rioja what makes you evangelize about rioja well, not least, as you kind of said yourself, but I mean, the wines are fantastic. So it's hard to sit on the fence or feel kind of apathetic about any kind of region that makes such delicious wines. Um, but I think originally I was probably inspired by others. So um, I used to get, or I mean, I still get lots of questions from people from when I'm doing sort of consumer tastings you know at things like BBC Good Food Show and things like that when people come up to you at the end because they don't like asking questions in front of other people and they come up to you at the end and they want to they have a question they want to ask you that uh, they want to ask you privately um, I would say oh about 80% of the questions are about Rioja so um, so many people want to know about it and I think um I, I that sort of love through the, it's kind of grown through them I think over time because I've delved into it a bit more and got myself involved in it a bit more over the years and um and it's just sort of snowballed I think but the, the wines are great but I also think as you alluded to it just now how um how much ongoing work there is to try and not lose their identity but kind of modernize itself and, and kind of move with the times and for classic wine producing regions and countries that's not always an easy thing to do because you don't want to isolate uh your current markets your current fans but you also kind of need to move with the times and recognize that palettes are adapting and palettes are changing and i think rock has done that and i also think it's super admirable region for that as well yeah they've done that with a plum, I think, uh, as you yeah. said, it's a difficult balance to strike when you've got such an illustrious 
history, uh, exactly. but you, you feel you need to be kind of thoroughly modern as well. And I think they've, they've really judged that well, all about balance as so much is in the, in the wine world. Rioja has this extraordinary uh, level of name recognition, as uh, I mentioned at the, at the start, yeah. um, yeah. even amongst those, those people who are waiting for you at the end with their private question, yeah, who might um, <laughs> not feel they know that much about wine. They probably know that they love Rioja. Um, why do you think it enjoys that enviable status? Well, I think part of it is, um, it, I don't know if there are many wine regions that do this, that it spans the whole kind of range from being, there are your everyday crowd pleasers and uh, enjoyable, affordable wines. But then it also runs right through to these rare, special wines that you can age and, and do age extremely well. And then you've kind of got everything in between. So it's attainable, if you like, and, and approachable and within reach for so many people, for, for everyone. And um, and so I think it's quite special to have that. It can be super, super special and you know sometimes reasonably expensive and you have that very highfalutin kind of end of it. But then, like I said, it runs right through down to your every day. You can get it in the supermarket. And so everyone has has their um, own affinity with Rioja, their own kind of Rioja story, their own experience with Rioja. So I think that's probably the main reason why it's so loved and, and so widely known. Yeah, it's a very democratic wine. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, you must have visited uh, so many times. Um, what, what makes it so special uh, being there? Yeah, I mean, I'm sad that I haven't been since since lockdown. I haven't been many places since lockdown. Um, but um, I don't know. There's something uh, quite well, something quite intangible about it. One says it's not helpful for podcast recording <laughs> to say that. Uh, if you step off the plane, and even though you're kind of you know on the tarmac in an airport, or whatever, I don't know. Whenever I do, I just have this deep kind of taking this deep sigh and this deep breath. And, um, you know, the, the people are so welcome. You know the food is going to be so delicious. You know, your, your mouth is watering as soon as you step on the plane. The views are so spectacular. And, you know, we've already talked about how great the wines are. So it's, you know, and in recent years, you know, in line with what we were talking about, the, the, the adaptations that have been made, um, it has, uh, there's a great vibe and a great energy to the place. And I don't know, it's like a melting pot. You put all of those things together and it makes for a very special place. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really wonderful. Yeah, well, that's, that's good. That's tangible. You've done that, oh, which good. is great. Oh, good. I got there. I got there. <laughs> so and we'll come to the food in a bit. But for those who might feel they recognise Rioja from a, a label, but don't feel they know that much about it, let's go back to the kind of the basics and just get those covered, the kind of stuff you do so well on the telly. Well, you know, it's um, so it's very close to Bilbao. So it's about 60 miles south of Bilbao. Um, and it's we're in northern Spain, in the sort of the central part of northern Spain, if you like. And it's just an absolute incredible mishmash of different places. But it's about 60, I think it's about 60 miles long. And uh, you've already said some numbers there, I think 65,000 hectares. And then there are three main regions along those those 60 miles. But it's got a backdrop of the um, mountains to the north and to the west and it's full of little sort of hilltop towns and ancient monasteries and 
but then there's some crazy sometimes crazy award-winning architecture and you know it's just an absolute feast uh, wherever you go but then it's quite it's this landlocked region so it's quite dry there's a lot of sunshine you know it's beautifully hot you can guarantee there guarantee that when you go there which is also brilliant um and and like i said then there's these three main sub-regions when when it comes to wine and tell um, us about those sub-regions yeah okay so there are three of them um and uh, very defined as being kind of one small one's medium size and one's quite large um so uh to the west you have the region called alta that's the kind of the medium sized region if you like so that's very mountainous region you know high up high elevations quite uh, dominated by the atlantic and because of that you get lots of this sort of freshness fresh air coming in which really helps bring about quite uh, elegant wines with lovely acidity. Um, then you have the the smallest region, uh, subregion, which is called Alavesa. Um, and this also, I suppose, this is also quite high, quite high elevation. But um, they are even fresher, I suppose, because their soils uh, are a bit more limestone, have a greater degree of limestone in them, which usually lends itself to having fresher wines. And then you've got the largest region towards the east. Um, and this is called, well, it's recently been renamed, it's called Oriental. And you get much more of a Med influence here. So the Mediterranean influence, so it's drier, it's warmer. Um, so you see more plantings of one of the main red grapes in Rioja called Garnacha. Um, and also uh, what's great about that region is because it's drier and warmer, then you see a lot of organic producers are coming through now. Um, which uh, I always think is, is a great thing, you know, to use fewer chemicals if you possibly can. Um, and so because it's, it's drier there, then there's less chance of disease and rots in the grapes, which means you don't use so many chemicals to try and combat that. Um, so I think that's that's a plus point as well. So those are the main three, Alta, Alavesa and Oriental. Brilliant. And uh, let's do grapes then as well. Um, you mentioned one of yeah. them there, but I'm going to come to that one in a second because I'll probably sure. start with Tempranillo. Uh, the oh. most famous grape. Um, tell us about that, its character, what makes it so distinctive? How can you not start with Tempranillo? Yes, indeed. So it's sort of the king grape in uh, red Rioja. And uh, I suppose what makes it so distinctive is this, uh, it's got quite a savoury character to it for a red grape. Um, so people often use the word sort of leather, um, which I suppose I've been guilty of using myself in, in the past. But like, for example, on, on Saturday Kitchen, I don't think I'd ever describe something as leathery because <laughs> who goes around chewing on a piece of leather to know what it tastes like? But I think that just relates to the fact, you know, it's savoury. So whether it's uh, nutty or earthy or, you know, more those sorts of things. So that's quite a classic character of it. But it does have fruitiness to it as well um certainly the kind of the younger ones or the ones that are made for kind of earlier drinking um definitely have sort of can range really from anything from strawberries and cherries right through to um those richer kind of darker berry flavors but it's also quite a thick skinned grape um and when you have thicker skinned grapes that usually equates to the wines being much more tannic so that furry coating you get in your gums and your teeth and your tongue. So it's known for that. And uh, that is one of the reasons why in the past um, there's been these, uh, put in place these quite 
strict rules on aging wines and not releasing Rioja too early to give those tannins time to kind of calm down and, and sink back into the wine so that they that the wines are a bit more supple because the tannins can be quite strong. But that's kind of Tempranillo in a sort of nutshell. <laughs> mm. And you're right about leather. I know why you don't necessarily yeah. want to say it, but it, it's that, funny, that supple it? character. I, I think mm. of a, a really beautiful, luxurious car seat or a lovely old sofa <laughs> or something like that, that, that gives yeah. you that kind of comfort level. It's um, yes. uh, so, so I think, yeah, but, but you know, no one really wants to be called leathery because... either, no. <laughs> um, and then um, what about the, the other reds? It, um, Garnacha are playing, feels to me, like a, an increasingly important role. Yeah, I would say they are. And I think part of the reason for that, I was just mentioning there that so, um, you know, there's some brilliant things happening. So the region Oriental, I suppose, in the past, uh, people thought of it as the kind of the, the kind of the lesser sibling, if you like, or the, the third region with Alta and Alavesa producing uh, the, the, the better, the higher quality wines. But I really think Oriental is coming into its own now and Garnacha is really helping it do that. I mean, as you know, it's a really kind of robust grape and it really helped uh, the Rioja region get, get back on its feet in the face of phylloxera, you know, 100, year, 100 more years ago because uh, the other grape varieties dwindled and, and Garnacha was kind of, you know, just took the region by the horns and kind of said, come on, we can do this and, and was really responsible for that. But now, rather than a workhorse, it's uh, it's bringing its own kind of unique style and flavours and it's got this lovely sort of rich, sort of quite, it brings a, quite a sort of spicy kick to the wines, which I really like. So that's doing great things. But I also think we should... Uh, not forget Graziano, uh, which is uh, a great variety that I'm really excited about. I think it's doing really great things in Rioja. And, uh, you know, I've, I've tasted some recently where they're, they're just brilliant. And I love um, those. They they have really kind of intense floral characters um, and they have a really deep, deep colour. And, yeah, they can be quite sort of violets and vanilla and there's a bit of spice there so there's uh there's all of this going on so i think the combination of those three is really wonderful um but you know there's some there's some big bold flavors in there and a bit of spice and it's uh it, depending on the proportions you have of each you know they all bring about all these these different characters which is wonderful mm, they'll bring something to the party yeah yes um, and uh, we tend, I think, if we do word association and talk about Rioja, we probably think red. But it's um, uh, it's mm. worth mentioning the whites as well, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and the Rosados. I think the whites, well, I think it's just getting more and more exciting. But, you know, for years, I mean, when I started out in the wine industry, white Rioja was the kind of sommelier's kind of uh, champion white. I mean, as well as white burgundy. You know, which restaurants also big fans of. I think uh, I've always thought of white Rioja as being something with like a sort of sommelier's undeclared favourite under the table kind of wine um, because they have these incredible, rich, sort of nutty, bold flavours. Um, but that was then. But now, while there are still lots of producers making these uh, fantastic, rich white Riojas, 
You also have producers who are focused on making these fresh, zesty floral styles as well. So a bit like with the reds now, whereas the white Riojas, I used to say, would all be in that kind of nutty, rich, you can keep them for quite a long time as well category. Now it's really opened up so that I think with the advancements of technology and better know-how of the vineyards and different sort of applications in the vineyards, then uh, we're getting lovely freshness and fruitiness and lovely sort of uh, crisp, frisky white wines as well, which is uh, which is brilliant, really exciting to see. And the Rosados, so which I, I kind of mentioned, I think would, you know, they um, want, there were quite a lot of few changes of rules in Rioja uh, back in 2018. Uh, one of them was that Rosados can now be made into a, a lighter colour, which sounds a bit crazy. But, you know, in the past, Red Riojas have this really deep, rich uh, colour. And I don't know, some people, I think, thought the fashion was for this sort of Provencal style of kind of onion skin and salmon and everything. And so now the producers can, if they want to make wines in that kind of colour, they can as well. But there's beautiful, because the, the, the red grapes are so full in flavour here, um, and the weather's so good, and you get a lot of ripeness in the grapes. So it lends itself to well to a really full-flavoured, punchy rosado as well, which um, which I think is really great to see. Yeah, it is. I, I was in uh, actually in northern Spain, in uh, San Sebastian, on holiday recently. And whilst that is outside that uh, region, nice. they have a lot of the obviously a lot of the Rioja wines there because it's it's not far yes. away. And those uh, yeah. some of the the rosado I, I drank was just sensational, actually, mm. really, yeah. really good, great value too. Incredible value, yeah, they're brilliant. So a sort of a bit of an underdog, and I think we're starting to see more of them over here now. But because because you know people like you are drinking them on a holiday in San Sebastian, that maybe. We don't see as many <laughs> like everyone's drinking them domestically and, and so they should you know they're very good yeah, yeah well it's the way trends start isn't it so uh, oh, you know what, what you drink when you're away you want to drink when you get back so let, let's do the aging process as well because um that can to a, a first timer be a, a little bit um confusing potentially um mm. so just give us um a bit about the the kind of uh, what we should look for and, and how that aging process works and what those labels mean. Uh, yeah, I get it, it's quite daunting, I think, and, and people don't really know what the, what these terms mean. And Rioja has a sort of aging hierarchy, if you like. But before I, I talk about those, David, I suppose I should say that I think the emphasis with Rioja now is that they're trying to show that it's not purely about the aging, but they're really trying to put an emphasis on location and site. I think. Fewer people are putting these ageing classifications on the labels now, perhaps for the reasons that you said. Um, but of course, m many, many still do. And they are familiar names, even if people don't necessarily know exactly what they mean. But um, so you have lots of different styles. So Criantha is probably the one that most people are familiar with. And this all relates to ageing. So Criantha is a wine that can only be released once it's had uh, a year spent uh was it relaxing relaxing why not uh in an oak relaxing. barrel relaxing chilling out in an oak barrel for a year and then another year in a bottle so it's been aged for two years and then the aging process slowly increases so then you move up to uh reserva and reserva also is one year in the barrels but then three it has have had three years in the bottle and then Gran Reserva, which is which is at the top end of this aging, is two years in oak and then five years in bottle. So it's a process, like I said earlier on, to try and 
allow those tannins a bit of time to just relax and and sink into the wine so that it's so that's the thinking behind it and I, I think it makes complete sense even though I understand it's it's tricky for people to understand because you won't know just by looking at the bottle but some people might be sort of guided by price on that point because it, it kind of has a bearing on that but I think the important thing to remember is that even though you have those even though you have those different levels in the aging category you can still have a stonking creantha it it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily equate to quality just because the aging isn't as long that's what I'm trying to say because yeah. you know some producers just want to make a, a creantha they might not be you know, it's not all poor them. They haven't managed to make it into a Grand Reserva. They want to make a Criantha, so they're just going to make the best possible Criantha they can make. So within that category, it could be, you know, incredible quality. And somebody could enjoy it just as much as they could enjoy a Grand Reserva. So um, it's just about the different styles, I think, rather than the quality. For, for, that's how I see it anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jane. I, it doesn't do to get too obsessed uh, with this I, terminology, does it? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, sorry if you can hear French bulldogs snapping in the background. <laughs> That's all right. We like we like dogs. You, my, my terrier might make an appearance at some point. Um, he definitely has before. So, and so going back to having said we shouldn't get obsessed with the terminology, I'm now going to obsess about the terminology slightly because um, I, that point that I made at the start, it is I can't think of anywhere where you can buy a wine off the shelf with the inbuilt ageing that you can have mm. from Rioja. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a special thing, isn't it? Because I think in many it's a it's a funny one because on the one hand it's uh, it's widely known as as we've discussed, but then on the other hand you can as you say you can still find these very special sort of parcels, if you like, of uh, of Rioja, and I think when you do find those, it takes you to a new level of Rioja appreciation and so I think that's where the love that people have for it kind of continues because when people are wise to it or they're exposed to it then uh, it opens their eyes sort of broadens their Rioja horizons but yeah we're, we're very lucky in that sense that we we do get that opportunity in a way that you wouldn't um, for other very famous red wine styles that you know, um, maybe I won't name. <laughs> mm. Well, that's just it, isn't it? Because if you want a, a, a wine to take to someone for a, either a, like a birthday or something or just a, a really special occasion, a dinner or whatever, um, yeah. then but you don't want a, a second mortgage in order to, to do that, yeah. um, then yeah. Rioja's your wine, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it uh, offers great value. You know, we've talked about it being a, a crowd pleaser and you... It, the availability of it in that in that sense is uh, unrivaled, really, in, in this country. So uh, we are we are very lucky um, to to have that available to us. But yeah, great for celebrations, great for Christmas, you know. Depending on and and because there are all these different styles, you know, you can depending on what you're having, um, you know, you'll find something to go with everything. I'm sure. Yeah, so I mean, you might just have given the USP, but if, if someone asked you, you know, what is the unique selling point of, of, of Rioja, what, what would you say? Well, I think, as you said, I think, you know, the risk of re repeating myself, I think it is that. Um, it uh, has this incredible reach 
uh, to everyone and um, and should be celebrated for it. But yeah, I think for me, that that is definitely his USP. I made a reference at the start to some of the innovation that has gone on. Uh, you've been uh, in the, the wine world for without aging you, a while. So I have to be very careful here. Uh, So uh, how has it changed in the time that you have known Rioja? Well, I don't know if it's because I've been paying more attention to it over the years or whether maybe it's a bit of both uh, and, and they have been, you know, modernizing things as we've discussed but really the the biggest change i think that i've seen um in my many years <laughs> uh in wine is the the oak i think the the way they've treated oak and the use of oak has been adapted and really well uh, executed i suppose so historically uh you know american oak is was the the origin of the barrels for Rioja. Rioja, the style of wine, Tempranillo especially, has its great affinity with American oak. Now, uh, just as a bit of background, so American oak typically has much richer, punchier flavours, coffee, chocolate, sometimes licorice, vanilla, all of these things really coming to the fore. And the other main origin of oak uh, is France. I say main origin because you know, you've got to be uh, careful these days because now there are lots of other uh, oaks appearing um, from other parts of the world. So, But France being the other one, which also has lots of flavour to it, but it's a bit more restrained, dare I say, a bit more subtle. And what's been happening is that more French oak has been introduced into uh, Rioja in general. And now you'll find that um, whereas uh, American oak dominated the scene, now it's not that French oak dominates it, but you see a lot more of it than you used to. And I think that combined with um, an awareness of the, the global trends of style is not to want really big, really heavy, crazy tannic wines these days. I mean, there's still a market for it, and some, some, some people still want that style. But in even with the, even even those richer styles, people want an a degree of kind of a bit more restraint, a bit more subtlety. And that's French oak barrels are thought to give you that. So now you'll find uh, so many producers now use a combination of the two. So they've got the heritage there and the heritage of the flavour, if you like, from the American oak, but a little bit of French oak as well brought in, um, just sort of calms things down a bit. And uh, that's the biggest thing I've seen. And, you know, some people just go for French, completely for French, which, you know, if that's what they want to do, then that's fine too. So that's been a huge overhaul, I think, in uh, in my time. Yeah. And they've done it, as you said earlier on, um, very carefully. Uh, they've yeah. adapted. Um, yeah. but, uh, they've, they've retained that sort of sense of history and heritage, uh, but uh, managed to be kind of thoroughly modern in in the way things are done as well, which is is, is really clever. Um, you mentioned earlier on some of the uh, architecture, and it's it's a great place to travel to, isn't it? I, I'm thinking of Frank Geary here and that amazing uh, hotel mm. uh, building of Marc de Riscal. Yeah, but but it is um, it, it beyond the wine. It makes a pretty uh, beguiling destination, doesn't it? It does. I mean, th- there's so much to it, and it's got this lovely sense of when you're when you're there, it's sort of buzzy, but it's not like, you know, uh, 
it's not like Venice in June or something where you're like you know, elbowing people out of the way and everything. It's kind of, um, it's got that really nice balance. And it's this clash, if you like, of the new and the old that I love to see. So yeah, so the Marcus of Riscal is kind of bonkers, but brilliantly bonkers. But then there's, you know, you've got ancient monasteries, you've got all these um, beautiful little villages like San Diego or Brinias or you know, so you've got these pretty little places and then you've got hotels that are small and boutique or like, you know, a bit more ostentatious and super modern and um, and then lovely little low-key tapas places and restaurants and then Michelin-style restaurants with fusion going on out of your ears, like really kind of making your brain and, and your palate kind of really work quite hard and um, it's the bar of it that's so brilliant. And then, you know, in Haro, you know, one of the main towns, their railway station district is really buzzy and there's lots going on and there's some great producers there. And so it's just, um, it's, uh, uh, I don't know, it's got this uh, vibe to it that I mentioned before that's bringing a bit of everything. So it hasn't lost the tradition. You Obviously, you can't lose this, the scenery or those ancient monasteries. You can't lose the history of it. But it's also deeply rooted in the 21st century. Um, and um, and I think that sense of uh, being able to have the best of both worlds, really, is what makes it such a great tourism place uh, as, as well. And then obviously you've got amazing wines and food to enjoy while, while you're there. So, yeah, it's got... It's got a bit of bit of everything. I feel like I need to book a flight because you know just yeah. <laughs> talks about it quite so much. I'm suddenly going, why am I, why am I why am I in uh, reasonably cold London today? Why am I not booking a flight to go there? Yeah, um, my London living room's not looking quite so good uh, right now. <laughs> um, you mentioned Spanish food culture as well. We we increasingly and rightly celebrate it over here now. Uh, thank goodness. Yeah. But um, what are your favourite yeah. uh, pairings for uh, Rioja wines? Oh, well, you know, there's there's so much with it. Um, I it's it, I've been inspired by some fantastic Spanish chefs. You know, Jose Pizarro over here. You know, he, he's a good friend of mine. But that aside, you know, I've been with him on Saturday Kitchen a few times. And but that aside, he really inspires you because it's kind of it's Spanish food, but not as you think of Spanish food. And and whenever I'm at his restaurant, I always find that. Oh, so that's really great. So eggs, like he can do things with eggs that I just didn't think were possible. I mean, that sounds really dull. But um, if you love eggs, as I do, then it's a great thing. So um, eggs are notoriously quite a tricky thing. Uh, people find to pair with wine. But I find the kind of the lighter, fresher end of white Rioja with any kind of eggs and any kind of combination is always fantastic. I mean, obviously, you think about tortilla um, being very egg-based. And so obviously, there's, there's an affinity there already but um eggs in any way are great so i think the lighter fresher white wines i mean i enjoy with everything from things that are kind of uh fried or deep fried if you're having little bits and pieces to like salted anchovies or something you know they just kind of have that so anything kind of salty or a bit fried i think is incredible with with white riojas and then lighter reds i think anything tomato based is great I mean, I've even had red Rioja. This is, uh, I mean, this is an absolute terrible thing to say. I'm not sure who'd be more unhappy about this, the Italians or the Spanish. But I've had, uh, you know, lighter Riojas before with like 
a very fresh tomato-based pasta, you know, um, and mm. uh, I find that goes incredibly well. So anything tomato-based, and obviously jamon, um, <clears throat> you know, whether it's a barrica or, you know, even if you go for something a bit more uh, affordable and budget, then uh, jamon is great with the lighter reds. Uh, the rosa, rosado, I should say, um, is incredible with prawns. Uh, I don't know what you were having when you were in San Sebastian with your risottos, but um, prawns, me, <laughs> yeah, prawns. There you go. It's like it's classic and traditional, but it's also fail safe and just an absolute winner. And you know, if you're going to go for a pairing, then then why not go for the ones that have the absolute affinity? So I love prawns, and also it's the risottos cope really well with with garlic. So, um, so if you're going for, you know, if you're going all out with garlicky prawns, then get a Rosado Rioja in your glass straight away. And then I think in terms of red, um, I'm, uh, I'm not a vegetarian or anything. So I love lamb. I mean, lamb is my uh, absolute go-to with uh, the richer red Riojas. And what I love about it is that partly because the versatility of Rioja, but also the vers- versatility of lamb. I'm not just saying because I'm, I'm Welsh. Obviously, I support lamb too. That uh, you know, whether whatever you whatever you've got on lamb, there's a Rioja that works really well with it. So whether it's you've got it dusted in chili, whether it's rubbed with garlic and rosemary, and you've got tons of herbs, you're serving it with salsa verde, or whatever whatever way you're having lamb, Rioja is great with it. So those are kind of my go-to favourite kind of matches, I'd say. I was thirsty already. Uh, you've made me hungry now as well with uh, your <laughs> your inspiration, which brings us neatly on to uh, Rioja Wine Month, a celebration of all things Rioja, presumably. Mm, in- indeed, that very thing. So uh, four weeks, obviously, uh, celebrating uh, all things Rioja across uh, indie, so independent retailers, across wine bars, across restaurants. So there's tons of offers some really cool kind of tastings for people uh, at those various places uh, special events happening yeah all uh, to bring sort of rioja i would say front of front of mind it already is front of mind for many people but even more kind of and maybe for a few more discoveries of like those new stars that we were talking about or going for a different color um so even if you think you know Rioja, it's worth getting involved with whatever's going on locally because there's there's always something new to discover. And how can uh, we get involved? A, a few favourite places of mine. I mean, I was at uh, a wine tasting yesterday. I mean, it's, it's the season for wine tastings, as you know. And I was at the Wine Society's tasting and they had a... Um, a disproportionate amount of Rioja and tasting in a good way uh, for Rioja. Um, so I asked them why they had so many Riojas on show and they were delicious. And they said that their Spanish buyer had been out there earlier this year, found all of these amazing things, which is not surprising to hear, um, and has come back. So they've got a slightly refreshed Rioja list at the moment, which is fabulous. So they're worth checking out. I don't know exactly who is involved with what, but then um i'm sure highbury vintners will be doing something they've just won the decanter uh magazine retailer awards for their spanish range uh, of which of course rioja is uh is takes uh, quite a large chunk of um so any of these places i'm a, a personally i'm a fan of a shop called the good wine shop um i think they have always have fantastic range of stuff but they've also got some brilliant riojas so um I'm sure that uh, if you Google it, you can find out which bars, restaurants, shops 
are participating. But in terms of where to go to buy, and they might be involved, I don't know, but those places are places that I definitely look out for. Brilliant. And actually, I was just doing my homework for this, and, and, and Majestic have got some great Spanish wines as well. Oh, so I'm yeah. really, really impressed by the... Uh, the yeah, how did I not mention Majestic? Well. Yeah, no, yeah, thank no, you no, for really. getting no, that that's, into me. That's all right. No, you can't mention everyone, but uh, they definitely... Uh, <laughs> Uh, deserve a, a shout out um, you've given us some uh, real inspiration uh, sharing your your love of Rioja that, that's um, fantastic Jane thank you so much um, the, the enthusiasm you bring to everything is just uh, is just brilliant so I'm so glad you didn't choose mustard the, 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 the mustard world loss is uh, is wine skein so um, thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to join us on the drinking hour Oh, my pleasure. So good to talk to you, David. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. If you'd like to know more about uh, Rioja Wine Month, if Jane has inspired you, and I'm sure she has, uh, then you can go to uh, Buy Rioja. .co.uk. If you go to that uh, homepage, there's a link on the left of the screen and uh, all the details, um, ideas, uh, things to inspire you, events, etc. They're on there. So do check that out. Uh, Let's select some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame, as we always do. And this week, of course, we are talking Rioja. Let's kick off with a gold medal winner, La Rioja Alta. Vinia Ardanza Reserva 2016. This won 95 points, so a convincing gold medal from a panel overseen by uh, Dersu Viana Jr. MW, a previous guest on this programme, and also uh, Beth Pierce MW as well, and Luke Harbour of the Pig Hotels Group, um, an estimable panel. Uh, this wine is a blend of 80% Tempranillo, uh, the remaining 20% is Garnacha. It's only released six years after vintage, and it's uh, from one of those great names of uh, the region, La Rioja Alta, uh, formed in the late 19th century. Uh, Here's what the uh, judges had to say in their tasting note. This classy Rioja opens with a nose of strawberry jam, dried cranberries and red plum alongside pronounced coconut and dill. The comforting and silky palate melds figgy pudding with darker berries, expertly delivered with a long life ahead of it yet. I bet it does. And you can find that at uh, Armit Wines if you're uh, tempted. Next, a silver medal winner. 92 points for this one. Rioja Vega Collection Tempranillo 2020. Rioja Vega, founded in 1882 in Haro. Uh, if you were inspired by uh, Jane's tourism suggestions, then you can uh, visit the bodega uh, there in Haro uh, and take a tasting tour. Uh, this one's 100% Tempranillo. The judges said this. Vanilla beans, dill and coconut over ample black plum fruit. The crispness on the palate is balanced by creamy oak, a classic example with the capacity to age gracefully. And here is a white, because uh, we have to have a white, quite frankly. Uh, This one also uh, from Rioja Vega. Uh, Tempranillo Blanco, Reserva 2018, a bronze medal winner. The judges said, rich and smoky with mighty flavours of warm toast, buttery popcorn and succulent tropical guava. 
uh, Tempranillo Blanco, um, still a relative rarity, um, uh, a natural genetic mutation found in a single cane of a red Tempranillo vine um, discovered in an old vineyard in 1988. Uh, well worth trying uh, if you haven't uh, tried a Tempranillo Blanco before. Next, uh, a silver medal winner, this one from El Cotto, uh, which uh, incidentally is, is one of the first producers I tried um, in a Pincho bar in San Sebastian. Gosh, 20 years ago, I suspect. And I still love the wines. Um, this one's a Gran Reserva, so some ageing under its belt already. 90% Tempranillo, 10% uh, Graciano. Uh, El Cotto de Imaz, Gran Reserva 2016. Here's the judge's tasting note. Classic nose with black cherry, spice and balsamic notes. Full-bodied and fresh with rich, ripe, dark fruits. And finely judged oak. And uh, finally, uh, one from Altos de Rioja. Uh, Altos R. Pigiage. Graziano, 2020. A bronze medal winner. Uh, Jane was uh, extolling the virtues of uh, Graciano uh, earlier on. Uh, it's increasingly important um, in Rioja. Here's what the judges had to say about this. Uh, cassis, plum compote, sweet spices and chocolate aromas with oak, cranberry juice and a raspberry palate. There you go. Hopefully that has also inspired you. Uh, that's it for another edition of the Drinking Hour for this week. Um, thank you to you for joining us. And thank you, of course, to Jane Parkinson uh, for joining us uh, to talk all things Rioja. Do join us next time. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. I am Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. But for now, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.